Hey everyone, welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about the UAP hearing that just happened yesterday. Um, with me today for the first time is a new co-host. It's Garrett. Hey man, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, good to have you here. Um, it's going to be great to have someone to talk to, just generally, <laughs> um, but to bounce stuff off of on here. And I think um, it makes it more enjoyable for everyone. I think when the, you know, it's not just me talking at my computer and um, yeah, man, it's great to have you here. You're like a encyclopedia and um, I think it's, it's going to be great um, moving forward with you on the podcast. So just wanted to welcome you and um, yeah, it's going to, I think it's going to be great. Thanks, dude. I really liked the last conversation we had and it looked like people on Twitter really liked it too. Um, and, and the Twitter spaces we've done were like wildly successful, I think. And uh, I, they were really productive conversations. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming up and uh, talking about this meeting and uh, talking about a couple other things. Yep. Sounds good, man. Um, so let's just get into it then. My expectations for this were pretty low. Um, it was pretty pretty crazy the night before it turned out that uh timber chet who had been leading this effort for a while he'd been very public uh, on tv and in interviews and going on podcasts and stuff like that it was pretty clear at least you know from a pr perspective that he was taking the lead and it, it, he made it sound like he was chairing this thing he was going to be directing uh everything and apparently that wasn't really the case uh the night before uh, it came out that he he wasn't actually the chairman. And I'm, I mean, he never really was. So that was kind of a weird thing. Um, and then they they kind of made it seem like, oh, there was a miscommunication, which uh, I I don't know. I didn't have a good feeling going into it. Um, and it, it there was just a lot of weirdness there. So I was kind of I was kind of personally a dick about it on Twitter, just kind of like, what, like, what the hell, <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, why are they, why are they fucking this up? Uh, you know, the night before the, the hearing supposed to go on, it's going to kind of destroy the credibility of this whole thing and make it seem like a joke. Um, but I don't know, I guess, I guess it got straightened out and, you know, yeah, when it started out, the new head of it, who kind of took Tim Burchett down a notch, um, I forget his name. Uh, he's the, he is the chair of the House Oversight Committee. I, I, I can't remember his name. He was, he was pretty boring um, opening it up. So he kind of went on and droned on and was saying things about his childhood, how he was interested in UFOs um, to open this open this hearing. And I, I, had, I had a bad feeling then, too. I'm like, oh, man, this, <laughs> this is going to go to hell and um, we're going to get it. We're going to be set back. Um, it actually, as the hearing went on, it picked up and it actually turned out to be like, it, it turned out to be really, really positive. Uh, I think once people started hearing what uh, Ryan Graves and Dave Fravor and uh, importantly, um, David Grush had to say about what was going on uh, and their experiences with the UFO phenomenon um, throughout their time in the government, it was kind of taking um taking these people a little by surprise i think it, um just hearing how sincere these witnesses were and how serious um they they view the subject uh i think caught their attention as it went on and kind of they started perking up and asking more pointed questions and um making it 
making a point to, uh, you know, show that they were in, engaged in this. And it was nice to see that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Burchett kind of redeemed himself. He said some of those dumb things he says, but he he really asked, asked the right questions. I th- he asked the questions that I got the best answers. Um, and we'll go into those a little bit. But um, what was your general takeaway from the whole thing? I like what you said about Tim Burchett. I thought he really laid it down and made a lot of people proud. And he is kind of like a hillbilly a little bit in his delivery, but uh, he is a patriotic person. I'll tell you what. And uh, when he opened it up and he was talking about how the Pentagon, the past, however long since he's been elected, I think five years or so, he said uh, that every year they fail their audit miserably. And uh, nobody has the guts in Congress to stand up and say that this isn't okay and that you guys work for us. And uh, I just really liked how he opened up the meeting with that command. And he made it very clear that if our pilots are being threatened or if they're not able to uh, defend themselves adequately or their careers are at stake for reporting these things intelligently, that um, he, he just made it very clear that they have our back. And they want to get down to the bottom of this. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like everything you said about it. And just hats off to Tim Burchett because uh, he's definitely been doing his homework on this topic. And he really cares if uh, Americans are safe. Yeah, I felt um, really, you know, bad for being kind of a dick to him about it on Twitter. I don't I doubt he even saw what I said, but, uh, you know, I, I was going after him pretty hard because I was pretty pissed off that like this whole thing got messed up at the last minute but um during the hearing he he thanked his staffers um for for doing the main research like i i think that's kind of one of the biggest uh things with with the whole congressional research um into this is that the staffers really do i think like you know 90 percent of the work when it comes to this they're they're the ones who are involved they're the ones who are getting briefings a lot of the time even Congress people aren't even in the room. Uh, the staffers are the ones taking the notes and, you know, judging the character and credibility of these witnesses, um, you know, before they go on the stand like they did uh, yesterday. As someone who is really invested in this topic and who really appreciates what went into the hearing yesterday and just the general interest um, in this, this subject from Congress and writing the new legislation from Chuck Schumer, um, I just, I personally would like to thank all the congressional staffers um, for putting in the effort and making sure that this gets done the right way. There's a lot of uh, landmines in this subject, and it's really easy to get caught up on hoaxes and uh, you know misinformation and that kind of thing. And I just think the people who have put this together behind the scenes have done a really, really good job, um, especially lately with the legislation and then with this hearing. So. They have uh, they have my full <laughs> full appreciation for uh, for the work they've done on this. Yeah, and I, I want to say that like even you pointed out how it could have went so off the rails yeah, totally early on when when Burchette, um was tweeting like, "Hey, I'm not going to be chairing this uh, meeting anymore." And I I got to be honest, dude, I was worried that any one of these people could have flaked. Or yeah. said that I don't want to do this, or I, I don't know what even potentially could have happened. But I, there, 
I'm I'm very relieved that everybody showed up. And it seemed like everybody like really got down to business and got down to what they were planning for a while. And uh, even uh, when David Grush was talking and they're asking him about like, the, is there a disinformation campaign? Um, have you been retaliated against? And when he's giving the affirmative to these like scary questions, things just got way more dead serious in that room. Yeah. And uh, you could see it. Grush was like, I hats off to Grush because Grush didn't even blink. You know, he was like, he was really, um, he understood, he, I, I think I heard you say it that he was in his element and mm-hmm. this was like his world. And, uh, he, he, he just came very prepared and he knew what he could and couldn't say. And, uh, yeah, he, I just saw a little bit of fear in that room because, uh, whether it's a cover up or whether it's the phenomenon itself, it just seemed like people were like, not feeling secure about it you know yeah it was um there were some really uh intense moments um especially when grush was tested well i guess when all of them were testifying and that was the cool thing because i know in the last episode we were talking about how these witnesses were were the probably the right ones to be to be up there for this specific hearing and i think it we, we were pretty right about that um they brought they brought credibility to this uh, even more so than I expected. Uh, Graves obviously has his, um, you know, aviation safety hat on. He, you know, brought a very intense case that I guess he found through his foundation or he, you know, heard about or was reported um, through his foundation. I think someone said that on a space last night. I could be wrong. Um, but even, yeah, Graves saying that he's, he's not really one to go into that kind of thing so it was really cool hearing that from him about the um red cube uh the football field sized red cube that came out of the ocean and then um hovered over vandenberg air force base for i guess 45 seconds like all the boeing contractors were there on the landing pad or something and and this giant yeah 100 yard wide red cube just hovered over them and it just shot off into the I, I and disappeared. I don't know. It's crazy. That's what um, AOC asked about, right? I is was it her? I um, I know she asked a pretty informed question about defense contractors to Ryan Graves, and then she she asked him another question about UAP. But the fact that she was there at all, I, I was like, whoa! I, I like <laughs> I know she's involved with some intelligence stuff, but like she was asking pretty good questions, man. And I, I like I. I was so proud that this wasn't a partisan thing. They they weren't asking partisan questions. They like everybody there, even Gates was asking informed questions and they wanted to know what's up. That part was nuts. The bipartisanship was, um, yeah, it's weird that that should have been a headline in itself. Uh, just, just with how divided our country is, you know, it, it almost makes you wonder if it's just like, they're just doing that shit for show like just being so crazy because <laughs> because they look like actual normal people in this hearing and like it it was like the twilight zone almost it was dead serious and there was no sniping there was zero partisanship i i feel confident saying that they're you know none at all there was no no back and forth it was all dead set all focused on the what witnesses um and i it's just not something you see these days and you know, it, it speaks a lot to the to the subject of of UFOs that that it can bring 
you know, people together and kind of make them forget about the bullshit, <laughs> the, you know, that, that takes over our you know, social consciousness every day, um, online and stuff like that. So yeah, it was great to see that. Yeah. And I think that these witnesses were not only such good decisions, uh, in general, but like these guys, since those 2017 videos came out and the New York times article came out, these guys have like been on Joe Rogan and they've become, uh, at least Fravor and Ryan Graves have become pretty much household names in America. And, uh, they're, they're still credible people, even after all those years where people have been able to criticize them. Um, it, on top of that, they add this senior, senior guy grudge. And it, I just thought that it really held water. Um, and another thing, was we got another a tip mention for Luis Elizondo? Yep. So the people that keep questioning that—that's another one under oath. That, I, uh, I think Commander David Fravor said that he worked with a tip and Luis Elizondo. And uh, yeah, dude, it drives me nuts when people uh, continue. And Lou was uh, there. Yeah, I, Lou was yeah. there too. That was great to see. Yeah, he yeah he looked good. Everybody looked good, man. I was like, I was so proud of everybody in that conference hall. Yeah, man. Uh, so let's get into, I guess, a few of the specifics. Um, I just wanted to also say that Fravor, Fravor was a delight to watch up there. He's just such a, he's such a fucking pilot, you know, <laughs> he's, he's so confident. And one of the funniest parts of that whole thing was when they were talking about the Tic Tac and forget who it was, but they, they asked Fravor, uh, they asked him, could any of our, weapon systems take take down the tic tac basically and he was like no it, it would have just left <laughs> like like just the thought of that um you know the thing would just no <laughs> the thing would just like peace out yeah it wouldn't even have to worry about any sort of um you know top of the line human weaponry it, it would just be like nope yeah fravor there was no doubt in his uh assessment of that it was um it was really funny to me that was something that confused me about these shoot downs earlier in the year, whether it was balloons or UAP or whatever, um, was that Fravor's testimony made it sound like they could not have engaged this Tic Tac if they wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, the way that they made it sound like, oh, well, we're able to actually shoot something down is like, I, I feel like it just goes to show that like i feel like there's a whole multitude of things that could be at play here and it's not necessarily just balloons and uap it could just be a, a matter of like different technologies and different stealth and different i i the list goes on but commander fravor's testimony just made it really sound like the tic tac would be if they were to engage it that it, it would have just been hopeless. And like you said, it would just peace out and go into space. It's interesting because I had the same kind of cognitive dissonance when the shootdowns happened. Because um, originally I was like, yeah, this is, it's just um, balloons. Like I, I convinced myself it's just balloons. Uh, and that's, I think, kind of what everyone did. Um, you know, there was a little hope there, like maybe it's something weird. And then, you know, it got, kind of shady when they, they weren't releasing any information so then i was kind of like all right maybe it's not just balloons maybe it's uh you know some sort of you know reverse engineered bootleg uh uap tech that that was my next logical conclusion and that they didn't want to recover it because it was you know some lockheed um 
yeah, bootleg like Tic Tac that couldn't actually act like a you know a real non-human engineered Tic Tac. Um, but similarly, um, and they wanted to keep that secret. But uh, so, yeah, that was my next thought. And then I don't know, man. It's just so fucking weird that they won't release anything about it. And Grush said during the hearing that, you know, he's seen the video of these things that were shot down. And and he said there's no reason the public shouldn't see them if they, you know, take out whatever uh, information that's, you know, would identify the classified sensors that took these videos. But uh, it's just so bizarre to me that they won't release this stuff. I don't know what kind of can of worms that would open but i can't imagine it would be anything more than you know those three navy videos we already have um what do you think about that if i'm being honest i think if biden came out and showed a video of us annihilating some sky jellyfish or something that we don't understand (laughs) i think that i would be like it would be shocking man like i i don't it, the the thing is, is I don't have enough data yeah, to right. even give an informed opinion. Like, I don't know exactly what's floating around or why they don't want to talk about it. Because it, if whether it's a foreign thing, a technological thing or an NHI thing, um, mm-hmm. either way, people can get super afraid. So that's that's usually, in my experience, a big reason that they'll cover this type of stuff up is the like a panic like that magnitude would be considered national security. So I, I and even if they didn't know if it was any of those three things, that's still like enough to scare people, you know, because not having an answer isn't the thing that they want to step up on a podium and say. So I don't know, because if it does, if they don't know where it's from like truly don't know the origin of some things. Um, I don't know what they could even say in a press conference, you know? So it, it, I don't know. I I hate to give them a pass on making things confidential, but I still understand that like certain things have been deemed to like just be too risky sociologically to just like drop in and, and not like look at how sensitively they're handling this process of disclosure and how like in my opinion it seems pretty meticulous and like how they're trying to go step by step by step and uh i don't know i think something like that would be like too much too fast and it would almost be like shocking to the whole process um if that makes sense so i'm just wondering like what the threshold is what what has to happen for them to like address it or acknowledge it you know is it i mean clearly not shooting one down (laughs) um and then and then they lie about it maybe they didn't lie about it but there's a discrepancy because on the day that the alaska one was shot down um natasha bertrand on cnn reported that the fbi had recovered something and they were taking it in for analysis and then now the official story is that they didn't recover anything if it's something that they're able to shoot down um i don't know why they would lie about it it's just hard right, to because like, that demonstrates that you're able to protect against yeah, that threat. exactly you know what i mean so like if anything that would be kind of a flex but that's why they let the fucking Chinese balloon drift all the way across the country was so they could make a show out of it and say, Hey, we can protect you from this thing. 
they did that. So what 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 was different between the balloon and these three other objects? I don't know. I mean, it's just bizarre to me that it's just gone away. <laughs> like, I guess it's the twenty four hour news cycle, and you know everyone's TikTok brain or some shit. But yeah, it just disappeared. What what did they end up saying about the balloon that we do know about? Did they say it said it was like a private citizens, right? Did it, it wasn't some military thing either? I I could be butchering that. Oh, but the Chinese. From what balloon? I remember, yeah, the Chinese balloon. Didn't they say it was some civilian? Um, yeah, something just like, like standard. Nothing really that special. Um, did they ever give like a comprehensive analysis of what oh. even that was? No, there was actually like a recent article. I think I know, you're right, where it said that it wasn't even collecting intelligence. I believe. I think. I think that's what happened. And then they just like, yeah, like tuck, threw it under the rug. You know, I don't know. It's so fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, let's let's get off the balloon talk because <laughs> shit is. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you're good, dude. <laughs> oh man. Um, I just remember that like typing the word balloon a thousand times over a day back in February. It's just like, I fucking hate the word balloon. Um, yeah. Right. And it's boring. Cause yeah. it's, it's like, there's nothing to it. You know what? <laughs> what do you think of Grush being scared of people being potentially killed over this shit, dude? Like, yeah, that's something that I, I it, it, for people who are historians about this topic, a lot of people speculate that a guy named James Forrestal, mm-hmm. who was like the, the United States' very first Secretary of Defense, they they feel like this guy is a potential name who was killed over this topic. Now, that's long before my father was even born. Um, but the stories I hear about it and the the reputation destruction I hear the uh like the stories of people that are going to come forward and say something and then like yeah from what i understand forstall he ended up like dying jumping out of a, a hospital window or something yeah didn't and they put they him in um, a suicide or uh, a mental institution yeah they put i think they they put him in a mental institution i mean if that's the theory that um he was murdered you know i think the logical reasoning there was he was in that mental institution for reasons that weren't legitimate yeah and uh that guy was like he was the secretary of the navy up until 1947 and uh yeah that's just one example of someone who potentially could have been involved with that a very very long time ago um the, the the modern example David Grush being worried about this and worried about people potentially being killed. Um, you could see that people in that room were genuinely concerned. And uh, that just adds even more to the amount of bravery that it took for David Grush to come forward and talk. And uh, yeah, I think that guy just needs a whole lot of support right now, even though I know that the internet is already like gushing with support. The media, I don't think is adequately covering this right now. And oh, uh, if people are like on the fence about whether this guy means well or not, I just feel like it's worth reminding that he has no reason to lie about this. This is something that drives me insane. So I'm seeing, you know, post hearing news coverage or basically suggesting that he's crazy. Um, 
some of these, like there was one article I saw in Business Insider, and um, it it was essentially calling out his previous interview with Ross, where he said he, you know, the Italian UFO crash in 1933 um, was the first, uh, you know, crash retrieval, which he basically repeated in his congressional testimony. But the writer, the writer, or um, yeah, the journalist who wrote this piece uh the the headline was basically saying this uh intelligence officer has said crazy things about ufos before referring to his interview with ross where he said the same shit he said to to congress under oath but it it was clearly a hit job and they they took a you know screenshot of him at the hearing where you know everyone has like if your computer freezes right and your your face is stuck. It, it looks weird. So they took like one of those pictures and put it as the main picture on the article. So he kind of looks like that, ah, you know. So it's like it's fucking so intentional, and it, it drives me crazy um, because he's saying the same thing he said to Ross in this hearing. But they're making it seem like uh, he said crazy shit before, so you shouldn't take him seriously. It, it was one of the most infuriating things I saw it like a couple hours ago, and I just like. Almost lost my fucking mind, man. That that kind of shit drives me nuts. Wasn't Grush preparing executive briefings for yeah. uh, like the White House? Yeah, man. It, ha- what what planet are these people on? That <laughs> a funny picture. It's crazy, and it makes me wonder. It really makes me like suspicious, and I don't like being conspiratorial about this stuff. But it really makes you wonder, like what. What incentive do, do they have to like be so direct in their, you know, discrediting of this guy? Like, it makes no sense. Like, why would you go out of your way? Like this this journalist who has like two hundred followers. I don't know. She writes about like mooses or something when she's not writing about you know discrediting David Grush. It's fucking weird that she would go out of her way to um, basically like take down this guy. And business insider and i don't know it just makes me so suspicious and i hate feeling like that because you know i want to i want people to trust the media i want people to be able to read this stuff and um you know feel like they're being informed in in a really meaningful way but but when this shit happens like this i i you know i can't help but feel like there's something going on there's some sort of intelligence uh influence behind the scenes and i i don't know i just i just wish this shit didn't have to happen like this but i guess it just reinforces the cover-up and how serious it is and um just uh most of all that you know they gotta be fucking transparent about it or people are gonna they're gonna have uh you know be conspiratorial about this stuff well that's the thing about conspiracy theories is that when people don't have the data to make informed decisions that's what you're left with is there there's bizarre conspiracies that usually fill in the cracks and like with ufos we see that like wildfire it's so hard to get reliable information that is dependable and trustworthy and uh it's because of all those reasons that you just mentioned um i i feel like everything you said about grush is true dude and i think that people can see through those bum articles like people that write articles like that 
that are just set out to be critics, I don't think that they really like change the tides that much to be quite honest, dude. I never really see them making that coherent of an argument. I usually see when they're talking about this topic, you can see their ignorance very, very quickly um, as to the, like the historical significance and the amount of actual scientists, legitimate scientists that have studied this topic. Um, people just don't give it the respect it deserves, but, uh, that can be humbling. And I don't want to trash the the person you just mentioned for their article. Cause I haven't personally read it. But, yeah. Uh, I already I did that, that enough. Constantly. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, probably, I made her life hell on Twitter today. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh yeah dude i think it's just something that like we all need to learn more about this because i know that there's someone that has a piece of this that i need and uh the problem is when people write stuff in bad faith that's when stuff really puts a bad taste in your mouth because now you're not even trying to uh give the people facts now you're trying to distort and to Mm -hmm. bend things and that's a whole different ball game uh, I, I yeah, I kind of feel bad now. <laughs> oh, don't feel bad. People write people write mean stuff on the internet all the time. That's true. I wasn't mean either. I was pretty fair about it. But um, all right, let's dive into a few other things here. Um, yeah, biologics. I haven't heard that phrase before. At least you know I've heard of you know biological evidence, but biologics. I don't. It probably means the same shit, right? What does it mean to you? Like when you hear that, what do you, what do you think? Do you uh, think tissues? Do you think like uh, things that can actually be looked at under a microscope or do you think a whole other realm? You mean like, um, like silicon life forms? Is that a. Right. Like, like different types of life. Yeah. Meaning like if we understand life as things based with like, ribonucleic acid it possibly some some new thing something mm-hmm. that exists in a whole other way that's kind of what i meant by that yes they just came out with an article i think like last month talking about how there's a different kind of uh i believe it's called xna uh i, I forget what it's you know stands for but it's it's basically like there was a precursor to rna yeah, as you said that, I'm trying to pull up. Uh, I was reading Lawrence Krauss. He's a theoretical physicist, and he did a huge tour with Richard Dawkins in the 2000s, and it might have been into the 2010s too. Um, and they called it—I think they called it the Unbelievers Tour. But essentially, they wanted to try to like explain the origins of the universe without having to resort to some mythical means. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really trying to take a stab at like trying to talk about ideas like we're talking about right now, like non-life to life, how that process might look. And uh, if there is a precursor to RNA, um, he he mentions in this book he wrote called The Universe from Nothing. He talks about how years and years ago um, that you would be hard pressed to find people who uh, thought that life could arise from non-life. And he's saying that now it's commonplace for scientists to hold that belief that it is possible, you know? So it's, it's only a matter of time before like these scientific things that have been status quo for a while 
as we gather more evidence, um, that's the beautiful thing about science is that it can change its mind when the evidence points towards uh, one way or the other. Well, you know, I searched biologics on Google and um, it took me to biopharmaceutical, the Wikipedia page, biologics redirects here. So it says, you know, biopharmaceutical, also known as a biological medical product or biologic is any pharmaceutical drug manufactured and extracted from or semi-synthesized from biological sources. Different, It's different from totally synthesized pharmaceuticals. They include vaccines, whole blood, blood components, allergenics, somatic cells, gene therapies, tissues, recombinant therapeutic protein, and living medicines used in cell therapy. So you have tissues in there. So I assume that's probably what he's talking about. Well, if, imagine if they found something advanced that like uh, people, that's that's one of the like common speculations, right? Mm-hmm. Is that if someone were to put some pilot or avatar in a craft, um, that they're going to like essentially construct a pilot, a space pilot that can withstand the conditions of space and withstand the conditions of the craft. And like, um, I, I don't know the relationship of consciousness and that this is all speculation, but, uh, the idea that you would like make something that would be well-suited to travel that long distance that we're talking about through space. Um, I, I feel like that's not out of the question that it might be some sort of advanced species, um, avatar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, that that sounds exactly like what what we're talking about here. This sounds like some sort of synthesized biological avatar. Yeah, it's it's something we would make. Well, didn't we make a sheep? Like, come on, dude. We can we can crank out, dude. Just think about CRISPR (laughs) and like what I'm, dude. CRISPR scares me so much. I, I don't want to talk about CRISPR that much, but <laughs> it is one of my biggest fears is CRISPR because I Chris, forget CRISPR phobia. <laughs> yeah, dude. They were saying, who was it? It was someone I didn't like, but they made a like great point and I was speechless. They were like, did you know that if one of our enemies or any foreign country or any country that wanted to, if they wanted to really apply CRISPR technology, a sophisticated CRISPR technology, he was like, they could make a new species within 20 years. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, my God. I was terrified. She was just saying, like, a whole country of people <laughs> with, like, 160 IQs. I'm like, dude, that is terrifying. That is not – I don't think that would work good. That is not yeah. – like, that sounds way too Jurassic Parky to me. Biologics can refer to a wide range of biological products and medicine. However, in most cases, the term is used more restrictively for a class of therapeutics that are produced using biological processes involving recombinant DNA technology. These medications are usually one of three types, substances, monoclonal antibodies, and receptor constructs. Um, Yeah, this is straight up synthetic biology um so these whatever these beings are it sounds like whatever has been collected from these crash sites are synthetic yeah i mean that that was my best guess based on what you described um and based on like what we've talked about just in general i mean sending something through space um yeah it would make sense you know Mm -hmm. it's just something that like it's hard to like 
I'm so used to not being satisfied with an answer. I know. And after right? this, after this uh, under oath testimony, I'm like, okay, this is like now we have a little bit. We've now we've kind of scratched the surface of what to kind of look into. You know, um, it, that's that's something that I thought um, a whole huge benefit of having these witnesses was was now we have a roadmap forward. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I know that before there was a broader roadmap, but like now that the testimony is done and it went well and the public is interested in it, now really fun things can happen, in my opinion. And uh, now we kind of have a roadmap forward and we know, like, assuming that they get these names from Grush and they know the names of like, uh, Good witnesses. I think he used the term hostile witnesses. Yeah. I didn't really know what that mean, meant. So I wanted to ask you about that. Um, but like now they have a, a, a much clearer path forward, in my opinion. And I'm excited to see what's next. Yeah. As far as hostile witnesses, I assume he's, he's talking about people, you know, who work on the programs who are probably going after him and his, and his family. Uh, that, that's what it seemed like to me when he said that. Um, I didn't know if he meant that or people that are just like not telling true information and their testimony. But what you said makes more sense to me. I just, I I'm so unfamiliar with this whole process Mm -hmm. and uh, I, I'm honestly so impressed by David Grush. Like he sounded so professional and put together and intelligent and uh, like what you could tell that he had done this at the highest of highest level in terms of discussing high level information and classified information. Um, so just again, tip of the hat to him. Cause he was like, uh, so well prepared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even in the face of all these, like potentially threat, they were, Burchette was talking to him. Like they had talked about the fact that he had been threatened. And, uh, if, if they're aware of that and still coming forward, that is true bravery. Yeah. And they, um, I think it was in a Daily Mail article, you know, a few months ago, um, or I think it was Danny Sheehan uh, talking about people flying drones over his house. That that's fucking crazy, dude. Like, how do you deal with that? And to still come forward and to still go testify while you're being harassed to the point of people flying fucking drones like outside your window, like it's insane. It it really that that also really makes makes it even more obscene that people are going after him for his autism and shit like that. It's just like these people are going through fucking hell. Like just leave them alone. <laughs> you know, it's like God. Um, but it also makes them that much more impressive and um that much more admirable and patriotic in my eyes. I think um I think he's honestly David Grush is, you know, Amer- an American hero, very much so. Very much like Lou, too. These guys go and do what they do for their country. They don't do it for recognition. Um, and that's that's pretty clear from, you know, what what kind of hell these guys have gone through uh, in order to get information out for, for us to, you know, for us to see it. And, you know, they, it's just, it sucks that they have to go through the gauntlet of conspiracy theories that have been perpetuating for decades. But they knew what they were getting into, I think. and. Um, it's it's you know that's why they're still with it that's why they're still going for it because because they knew 
they knew what was coming and they they can handle it. The term conspiracy theorist has been used for years to alienate people that are trying to think critically about real emotional, important topics. And uh, JFK was one example of that. But like they would use the term conspiracy theorist for people who would say that like maybe Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. Maybe a group of people um, had a, had an interest in JFK dying. And, uh, and when people would say ideas like that and they'd be called a conspiracy theorist, they'd just be ridiculed and laughed at. And then it just became like people would understand social, socially that like I would rather not – like if you don't have the full set of facts to begin with, then they can just poke holes in whatever story you try to tell. You know, because if somebody has that information and they're playing that shell game with you, then it's it's pretty much a lose lose for the person who doesn't have the information, because even as like as well intentioned as it may be that they're trying to get the truth, um, it's so easy for the other side to ridicule them because they're the one that hid the pebble in the shell, you know, so like. It's something that uh, Jacques Vallée was talking about that in the uh, Archives of the Impossible conference that you sent me, where he's talking about the truths of uh, the the Greek god of truth, Eletheia. Yeah. And uh, he was saying that, like, she cannot be smarter than the people that she's dealing with, Mm -hmm. meaning, like, if the if the people don't have all the information to make informed decisions, they can see the truth right in front of their face and they won't even be able to recognize it, you know? And uh, I feel like that's something that we might have to deal with here is that if if people don't have a, a create the appropriate like frame of reference to understand what we're dealing with and what we're talking about, or if someone tries to pervert it or warp it, or, or make it like something that it's not, it can really take their eye off the ball. And uh, this topic is something that like, I just saw the seriousness that like our Senate and Congress had in that conference. And uh, it's just made me really excited. Yeah. And when you, um, when it comes to like conspiracy, I, I wasn't trying to use conspiracy theory in like a, like a derogatory way, but but sometimes there are conspiracies, and that's what this is. That's what the UFO cover-up is. It's a conspiracy. Um, so if you call it what what it is, it shouldn't be stigmatized like that. And that's and that's kind of the fucked up thing too. Is they can play both sides. They can feed disinformation and then ridicule you for believing it. Yeah, or you get a doty situation exactly where somebody is just feeding wrong information, not even knowing what the repercussions are going to be. But he's just following orders, and uh, that—that's one example. But like, you think he's the only person, dude? You know that there's probably like a handful, at least, of people just feeding bad information and bogus stuff into people's DMs. People and, are still uh, listening to him, literally. Yeah, Doty yo. on Twitter, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, don't listen to Rick Doty on Twitter. Are you crazy? <laughs> and. Half the time, it's the same people that have all these questions that haven't been answered about TTSA or uh, Elizondo. It's a complete double standard. It really is. Let me put it this way, dude. 
if if Edgar Mitchell, the the sixth man to walk on the moon, the Apollo 14 astronaut, if he had written a letter saying that he wanted to distance himself from Luis Elizondo for overstepping his boundaries, the way that he wrote about Stephen Greer, mm-hmm. people would be losing their shit. And uh, I just noticed people give Greer a pass and it just seems like ignorance is bliss because like Edgar Mitchell did write a letter that said that and he did separate himself and he does have a history of overstating things. And uh, it's a shame that this topic does have credible people and uh, it's just constantly pumped with a bunch of baloney. Yep. That is crazy. (laughs) <laughs> the whole Greer thing, him going on that podcast, that Sean Ryan podcast, calling Lou a disinformation agent. And it's like, this is a dude who fucking charged thousands of dollars to shoot flares out of a fucking airplane. And people believe they were UFOs and that they were summoning them. Like, if that's not a credibility killer forever, <laughs> what is in the subject? Like, like, what does it take to write in a book? Yeah, exactly, dude. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Oh my god, it's crazy. And this, yeah, Greer's made like three documentaries. They all, it's all like basically Russian propaganda. It's fucking nuts, dude. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and they go off of the theory of Warner von Braun, a former SS officer, and. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't even want to talk about it yeah. because I don't think he deserves to be. I don't think his theories deserve to be discussed because right. he's lost his credibility. Right, and that's the frustrating part about Grush and specifically Grush getting getting lumped in with um with all that shit. Like, I just it, it's basically like they're that that one article I was talking about was it's basically like they're treating him like Greer and it's like no this is like this is a you know this dude basically had access to like the most classified satellites in the U.S. government arsenal like this guy you know he's serious and uh you could tell and I'm glad he got his time in front of the Congress to to show that um a friend uh Katie Holland basically was saying she's been around uh Congress you know a lot She, she I think she worked um kind of with lobbyists and stuff and she she was saying that this guy knows his stuff he knows the lingo he's he's very clearly um been around that for a very long time so you know someone told him some crazy shit or maybe they lied to him but it doesn't seem like it man he was on the uap task force he i don't think he'd be saying the shit if he thought someone was lying to him i i think people he trusts he he's very credible himself and i think people that a credible person trusts like Grush uh telling him this stuff, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be repeating it if he didn't trust the people who were telling him this. And like that part I don't get either is like people are lying to him. It's like, well, if you trust Grush to say that he's heard this stuff, then why wouldn't you trust him to, you know, be repeating stuff from people that he trusts? Like I get that it's like secondhand information, but like there has to be some sort of tangential credibility um, lent there, right? Oh, something is rotten in the fridge. When yeah. when you hear the phrase, I served my country and I, I took an oath to protect against all enemies, foreign and domestic, as a reason to coming forward, you know something is rotten in the fridge. 
And I know I've heard Elizondo say that. And uh, I believe David Grush has said that as well. And uh, these are, I think, internal issues in some of these places that like the, the transparency is one thing, but like the, the threatening things and the disinformation campaigns. And like, these are things that uh, when we were talking about Rick Doty, like Paul Benowitz was an American citizen, you know? And that's something that like, I feel like also needs to be nailed down is like, is that okay to run operations against our own citizens for whatever reason, whether, whether or not it's in the interest of national security or not, what is the legality of those things? You know, what is the legality of those programs and our, our taxpayers paying for those programs? Um, Those are just the type of questions that keep popping into my head as we're talking about this, because like, not only are there layers to this, there's also like a very sinister side to this. It just sounds super dark. Like these programs, they sound like once you're in them, you can't get out. It really sounds like a, like a dark place to to work and to like spend your existence. Um, and I feel like that kind of has to do with um, how it was set up in the first place. When they brought people over from paperclip it's just a really dark you know um environment to to kind of work in i don't know maybe i'm just overthinking it but um yeah it feels like once you're in you're in and uh you know you can't you can't talk about it and uh if you do they'll fucking kill you basically i i, I feel like there would be people in there who who don't want to be in there anymore and it seems like a pr- like prison kind of I, I mean, I don't know if people um, want want out or whatever, and that's why this is happening. But you know, you think about the Vanna syndrome stuff, and um, you know, you start to wonder why are these aerospace employees um, suffering from this, and uh, is it part of that harassment? Um, is it uh, you know did did Grush suffer from Havana syndrome? I mean, I'm you know I'm just totally speculating there but like why wouldn't they use you know electromagnetic weapons like that or um you know anything like that if they you know if they actually like murdered people like why wouldn't they try that first um i don't know that's kind of where my head goes with it and i think that be a pretty good reason to hide you know what's behind havana syndrome is if you know you were aware that certain contractors were trying to keep people silent on certain technologies i don't don't know anything towards that to that effect i just uh it would make sense to me yeah anytime i've ever looked into like these people that claim to be the uh what do they call them ti's targeted individuals right people who uh display these victims or the uh the symptoms of havana syndrome or like these what they claim are like electromagnetic attacks on them um, I, people have been saying this for years and years and they claim that they're being harassed or I think they use the term gang stalk yep. and, uh, it's, it's a, something that's extremely hard to prove, you know, because like some of that technology is, it, it, it's made to not be detectable, you know, it's, it's non-lethal weaponry and, uh, something that is interesting about it is like these mind when when you mentioned paperclip earlier 
is a lot of people think that was like a rocketry thing, solely a rocketry thing. And it wasn't the people need to like really take a look at who we were bringing over and what these guys were. I would say probably a good one fifth, 20% were mind scientists. And that's something that is a whole other realm. That's something like uh, the MK ultra program in the fifties. A lot of these names that you'll see involved in those early aviation medicine programs that were these paperclip guys were all involved in MK ultra. And, uh, it, it's, yeah, it gets dark really fast when yeah. you start learning about the names of these guys. They're like testing radiation on, the, you know, like that's the kind of shit these guys were doing in Nazi Germany. And it's like, like, obviously that people were, were murdered over this cover up. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's pretty crazy that, Grush said himself, you know, Burchett literally asked him point blank, have people been murdered to keep this secret? And he said, I've reported that uh, evidence to the appropriate authorities. So that's like a non yes, uh, yes, basically. Um, and that fact that that's not all over the news is just fucking crazy. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, just because this is, this is about UFOs, like, the the fact that you know someone testified under oath that people have been murdered over a cover up and no one cares it's bizarre <laughs> i don't get it well think about what we were talking about earlier in us really not being able to draw a conclusion from the set of facts that we've been given and i think that's a, a big reason why we're not getting like huge articles yet is that like even though we've gotten this testimony we don't know what to make yet, you know, like we don't know the path forward, but I still think it isn't it, like, it's not being given a shred of the attention it deserves. But I think that could be a potential reason is that like, even though we've got this testimony, we need to see like still the nature of this cover up and what's going on. Because like, I, I think that this process, although it's frustrating and slow, they need to probe it properly to understand that they're not going to like, you know, like that part of, part of uh, a lot of what uh, deception involves is like sending your enemy down a false path and making, they call it making your enemy chase the white rabbit. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, because that's a strategy in war is uh, making people think that something is one way and maybe it is completely the other. So right. I, uh, I I, I want to say that I understand why someone wouldn't write an article about it, but at the same time, like we've still been told things that deserve to have hour-long 60-minute specials on them. Like from each of these, each of these guys' testimony could have its own 60 minutes episode, in my opinion. Um, because what they're saying is that we're potentially sharing our planet um with something else and uh that is like that's one of the big questions right are we alone and what happens after you die right Mm -hmm. and like that is one of them dude that's like uh yeah everybody our grandparents have been asking are we alone i remember my grandpa was like the first person that made me believe that we're not alone as he said he had a uh professor pull down the uh he had like a really big uh, 
outline of all the stars and like all of our like near solar systems and stuff. And he was like pointing at all these stars and he was like, you know, the odds that all of this is just nothing like void. (laughs) And, uh, I just heard that as a little kid and I was like, wow, that makes sense. And, uh, (laughs) nothing's even changed, dude. That made perfect sense. And, uh, I, it's, I, I, like I said in the last episode, dude, I'm, I'm, if we do get confirmation of that type of news soon, that really could be shattering for, for a lot of people and institutions. But like, we're, I think we're kind of seeing how people are taking this information and it might end up being like, don't look up like we were saying before. Yeah. It seems like, like there's 10 articles out today that are like, nobody gives a shit about aliens. Like literally fucking NBC, uh, you know, like, like, yeah, a bunch of other other outlets publish articles basically with tweets. I also ripped in this guy a new asshole for for his for his article, and then I saw there were like ten others. So I kind of feel bad about that one too. But <laughs> um, but yeah, they're basically like, look at all these tweets. No one gives a fuck about aliens. So it's like, okay, if that's the case, then what's the big deal? Just fucking tell us. Um, you know, like Rand Corporation was full of shit back in whenever they wrote that paper back in the fifties, I guess. Um, maybe not then, but you know, now it's like, um, like if, if no one cares, then what's the big deal? You know, is it just because the cover up will get blown up and, you know, 20 old motherfuckers will go to jail? Like, is that really the reason? Um, I'm sure someone has to have information and that's, you know, another one where I get kind of confused is the splitting apart of, um, the tech and just the basic fact that we're not alone. Like, where is where's the line there? Why can't we um, make a distinction? And that also kind of brings me back to the biologics thing is maybe um, the tech (laughs) with the UAP and then these synthetic beings are, is, is also tech. So it's so advanced that maybe that's a dangerous thing to have out in the public sphere. Um, I don't know. That was an idea I just had right now, but uh, yeah, maybe you can't separate the, the tech from the NHI. I, it depends on the nature of the NHI, I would assume, you know, like uh, this is all we we've never had this confirmed. So it, it, it's always going to be speculation until we get that confirmation. Right. But like as far as NHI goes, um, what do you consider NHI? Like, uh, right. let, like, let's say you're familiar with Mac Tony's book, right? The crypto terrestrials. Would do you, would that fit as NHI to you? This like offshoot of human beings that is like our, uh, the way Tony's describes it, if I'm correct, is like, it's a essentially a cousin of ours that we've shared the planet with, but they've uh, faced like an evolutionary bottleneck or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though they're very technologically advanced, they have to conceal themselves and give the guys that they're extraterrestrial in order to uh, try to, like, I guess, buy time or try to, like, manipulate the human gene pool enough to try to, like, find a way back into, like, having a a flourishing population. Um, Did I describe that okay? Yeah, I love Uh, that theory so much. It's such an intense, like... It, it just makes sense to me i mean it's it, it's all yeah it's out there but it's also um it 
makes a ton of sense. I, and that that also explains kind of the whole trickster element that we talked about. Um, oh yeah, it's it's that that would be inherent to uh, you know a crypto terrestrial species that was trying to survive like that. Um, they they would be all of their interactions with us would be tricking us into thinking they're ET. And he also was ta- talks about how they might have you know a hive mind uh, as well. And that was, uh, you know, it's always a fun one to get into, but, um, and it's, it's very clear that that's kind of where we're headed, whether we, you know, want to admit it or not through Twitter or just the internet or just AI, um, we're, we're headed that way to where we're going to be one giant hive mind if we're not already. Yeah. The, uh, Crypto terrestrials, I know Tom would use that term a lot when he would talk about like his correspondence with the advisors, right? And uh, then last year in the uh, Journal of Cosmology, Hal Putoff put out his, I think it was called Ultra Terrestrial Models. Mm-hmm. And he included the crypto terrestrial hypothesis as one of the ideas. Um, but he basically laid out like all sorts of different scenarios of what this could be, whether it's a breakaway civilization, um, whether it's a crypto terrestrial, whether it's an extraterrestrial, he lays out all sorts of different um, ideas of what this can be and what other great authors have written. And uh, I think that paper is worth a search for anybody interested in it because uh, they actually submitted a paper of how put offs early in this last meeting. Right. Um, I remember, I think they, submitted something from George Knapp and they were talking about uh, one of the scientific papers he wrote because because he's a physicist first and foremost. He's an electrical engineer PhD from Stanford. And uh, yeah, could, do you know anything about the paper they submitted by put off uh, before this? Uh... Yeah, it was, um, I don't remember the full name, but it was um, about space-time metric engineering um, from a vacuum. So that that was one that he wrote for OSAP, I believe. I know it's over 20 documents they did for OSAP and that kind of thing. And it's so funny how people are saying like uh OSAP wasn't a UFO program when they got like all this crazy shit they're trying to uh you know extrapolate into the future scientifically with. It's uh it's like it's clearly that's what they're going for. Um and they they had another uh, this wasn't in the hearing, but there was another um paper on you know advanced spaceflight cockpits where it was basically uh separated from the outside and you know it had to withstand all the movements that we are we all know uaps um do basically and uh yeah it's definitely a ufo program just making that point yeah dude i wanted to ask you about uh I wanted to ask you about this short story. Okay. And in this story, essentially there's this parasite that has latched itself on the human beings, right? And everybody has it. The the way that they figure out how to end up killing it is with space travel. Once they like lose their uh connection to the earth and the 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 link this parasite has with the earth. If if it's like flops around like a fish and they can see that it's like finally lost its grip over them. But an interesting part of this story is the mind parasites themselves are dogmatic creeds. 
So like, um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but, uh, for somebody who's very dogmatic about a topic, um, you can see how that, I don't know. I thought it was just a very intriguing story. And the, it, I, it, it, it struck me as odd that the solution to beat the parasite was space travel, you know? And, uh, the thing is with, with dogmatic creeds is like people cling to them as a crutch, you know? And, uh, people, uh, don't use their critical thinking skills because of dogmatic creeds. And uh, that's something that we need so pivotally right now is critical thinking skills. And uh, like we said earlier, I hope that this topic doesn't end up looking ridiculous because of the clown show that ends up uh, coming along every time we get some sort of UFO news. There's always something right along with it, right? Yeah. Um, I know when Grush stepped forward, we got the Vegas backyard bullshit. I don't even know what that was, but it seems like there's always some sort of sideshow. Yeah, um, totally. Anytime there's any sort of big news. And uh, I don't know, that short story I think is worth checking out for any fans of this topic, because uh, I love the idea that what we're dealing with could be something we just don't know yet. Like before they understood what germs were, um, people would like bleed bleed you out you would like literally go to the doctor and they would have you bleed and like lose blood and I'd be like okay you're done and that would be their solution to certain problems yeah was to bleed people until they learned what germs were and that we've gotten entire germ theories and now we thoroughly understand it um I feel like it could be something like that That's um, part of this NHI uh, is something that is very small and something that maybe we just aren't quite grasping yet. Um, what do you think of the possibility of something like that? Or have you had heard any speculation from credible people about that type of stuff? I mean, Elizondo has said a few times, um, he's talked about viruses um, living alongside us and, you know, they might be extraterrestrial and they, you know, they've just been here the whole time. Um, and living symbiotically or parasitically with us he yeah he's, he's mentioned that a few times i i do think that short story is like super interesting and it makes me wonder i i remember something and you know uh, i don't remember the specifics as usual but uh it's i believe like edgar had something to do with edgar mitchell and his space flight and his, uh, you know, psi attempts up there. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's a connection there. I'm not, <laughs> I don't remember specifically what it is. I don't know if you you know anything about that. But something about consciousness when you're, you know, the further you get away from the earth, um, there's, you know, a change in consciousness. I, I, it's, I totally yeah, fucking I can, I can try to. No, dude, you're good. I'm going to try to piece this together, bro. Because <laughs> you, you, put, you have the pieces. So this is the story as I understand it. Okay, right? good. You fucking the, know it. Of course. Oh, so in, in uh, Ed, Ed Mitchell, Apollo 14 was uh, 1972, right? Because Apollo 11 was 69. That was the first one. It was a couple years after that. So 1972. Think about like 
in terms of psychic ability and where that's been, we don't, I don't think that we have Ed Mitchell's Institute of Noetic Science yet, right? We don't have these like institutes that he ended up coming back from space and being like very inspired and encouraged. And from what I understand, when he went to space, he did a test with the psychic Ingo Swan. And he wanted to see if they could like read each other's thoughts in That's space. What it is. Yeah. And when that. when when they got back, uh, I, either Ingo or Ed had been bragging that they were very successful in these tests. And NASA made a statement distancing themselves from Mitchell. And they said, we feel like Ed Mitchell is a patriotic American, but we do not agree with his, uh, like, they were, they were also worried about the fact that he was, like, supposedly using that mission time to do other shit. Like, that, that's something that they're like, okay, well, this isn't what the mission was for. You know what I'm saying? So I can see why they could get criticism for that. But according to Ed Mitchell, when he was in space, he said he had, like, this borderline religious I don't want to say religious he had like a, a spiritual experience like he felt like this ultimate connectedness uh he said he he was looking at the earth and he said like how precious it felt and uh how like uh so anyway he got back to earth and he uh he or Ingo had been bragging about how successful these psychic tests were um, but after that, Ed Mitchell was involved with all sorts of stuff that he was at SRI with Russell Targ and Hal Putoff when they were testing Uri Geller. And I think that was in 1973. Um, and after that, the, the psychic testing programs proceeded up until about like 1995 or so in an official capacity. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, Ed Mitchell was really involved with that. I know that he, uh, as I learned more about Dr. Andrea Puharik, I, I could tell that he had been working with Ed Mitchell on a few things. And there's one book that includes a study that they did together. Um, so yeah, it's just an interesting field because Ed Mitchell really was inspired in a, a very deep level when he was in space based on his experience. And when he got back from space, he committed his life to studying consciousness and understanding this phenomenon. And he became like a big uh ufo guy too not in not in a uh a ufo buff hang at the conventions type of way but like someone who wanted to give this subject real serious um scientific inquiry yeah and he did with the uh, wilson davis notes just trying just trying to make a segue back back to the um the hearing but yeah man it's i, I don't even know if we need to go back to the hearing but uh it was a. Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. The IRAD aspect of this whole thing um is is really interesting that they're they're well first of all they're overcharging for all their their weapons and shit. Like this was a 60 minutes uh special a few months ago where they basically went and interviewed all these Pentagon auditors who were saying uh yeah, Lockheed and Boeing and they're, they're overcharging by like 40 percent for these for these weapons and um what the guy basically said that you know if if they had been getting a reasonable profit on this we would have had a year of these missiles for free 
Like that, that's the equivalent of the money that they're overcharging for these weapons. So that shit is going apparently towards these UFO programs um, or, you know, maybe conventional weapons programs through, through this IRAD uh, independent research and development. Um, that's, that was the insinuation I got from um, representative Moskowitz and uh, his questioning of David Grush. So that in itself too, like that should be a fucking huge scandal and no one's talking about it. Like, under oath, this guy testified that these guys are basically stealing taxpayer money to fund these UFO programs. And um, nobody gives a shit. It's crazy. The, the things that I kept jotting down as I listened to this meeting or hearing mm-hmm. was that um, they were concerned about being able to like have the capability to defend themselves, right? So yeah. they asked them, like, Can I, could our pilots have engaged the tic tac or could they have defended themselves yeah and like we like we said it could have just zipped away into space or whatever um but then i was thinking about what i've read myself about ufos and just like kind of what a, a common ufo encounter looks like or can can the the physiological effects it can leave you know mm-hmm. and uh so a lot of the time people it and this is, I hate to speak or paint with such a broad brush because people report all sorts of different things, but like a standard UFO encounter, people describe a lot of the time is like an intelligent ball of light, right? Or an orb. And uh, John Keel said that like a lot of the time he thought that these things were pure energy, intelligent energy. And that a lot of people, it can leave you with like uh, surface burn, like microwave-like burns to your skin if you come close to it. Um, it can uh, give you conjunctivitis symptoms, like you can feel like you have sand in your eyes. And uh, there's all sorts of like emotion involved, right? And a lot of these people that report having a sighting has this like uh, religious component. He said when he was in India he was impressed by all the people who had reported seeing the Indian gods. And he had noticed that like culturally the places he would go, people were reporting, seeing things that matched their cultural frame of reference. And that makes sense. Yeah. Um, at least to my crazy brain, it does. And uh, so I was just thinking about like the, the nature of these types of encounters and the uh, physical effects and, health effects sometimes i wanted to caveat that by also saying is like even though people can have burns and negative uh health effects there's also healings that sometimes happen when they're visited by these things and uh sometimes it's a mixture of things like if you took the like fatima example we were talking about the other night that's an example of one where uh, we had miraculous healings reported and you had negative health consequences, right? So it was kind of a mixed bag. So like when I was thinking about um, the types of encounters that uh, people describe, um, part of the phenomenon seems or appears to me like a desire for it to come, right? Mm -hmm. So like when people do that type of protocol, quote unquote that Stephen Greer talks about the CE5 and trying to make things appear a lot of the time people do report having certain things happen now the thing is is that because our brains are playing tricks on us and we really really want to see something 
Um, or is it because there is something interacting with our consciousness? I've never really tried that type of stuff myself. Um, but I do know that like, if what John Keel and Jacques Vallée says is correct, that would just, that would explain all sorts of things. Like people report seeing, uh, the Yetis and the Bigfoots and, uh, Loch Ness monsters, all sorts of things like that is like people sit on park benches every day for months and months and years and years and just like really hope that they see just a glimpse of these things just once. And uh, it, it makes you wonder if like our consciousness has something to do with one or multiple people seeing these things or them actually manifesting in some capacity because Another thing they report is when they do see some sort of cryptid like that, they report that it smells horrible and that it's like a <laughs> yep. uh, sulfurous smell. And uh, the, I've also heard that it can get ice cold in the in the area also it, it, when when an apparition like that can happen. And the something that made me like think about apparitions and uh, yetis and all that type of st- and Loch Ness monsters was uh, the Vatican, correct me if I'm wrong, the Vatican created a group just in this last 365 days uh, to study Marian apparitions, like yeah. Virgin Mary, blowing, glowing, uh, glowing blue women. Yeah, and to, uh, uh, scientifically, yeah. They're, they're yeah. scientists like going to these sites, I guess, and, and studying them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but that's something that I, I had jotted down that I was like, that that's something that I don't even know what to make of that or what, if that even has to do with this. But based on the what I hear people like Diana Pasolka and Jacques Vallée talk about now is it seems like this certainly has something to do with UFOs. Yeah, it's some kind of um, Tulpa-esque um apparition um and it's yeah it's consciousness manifesting in in the physical realm yeah that's a good point and uh the term experiencer i feel like is also a very broad term because because of like we were just discussing the variety of possibilities that come out of the experience itself like (laughs) there's people that claim that their diseases have been cured by encountering balls of light right so like that type of stuff doesn't invalidate somebody who's had a negative experience and vice versa you know and that's something that i feel like the the more we examine this the more um we should examine guys like john mack that have like really looked at this phenomenon and have tried to whittle it down into something that we can actually try to uh categorize you know and maybe actually get uh better minds looking at because john mack he was the he was the head of what was it he was he was a harvard guy and he was the head of uh i think it was psychiatric medicine and uh whatever it was he he was a he was a doctor and he was studying people that that he was a Harvard doctor and he was studying people who had claimed to be abducted by UFOs or encountered UFOs. And, uh, he is, was also working with Ed Mitchell's Institute, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I don't know if you knew that, 
Yeah. Um, but they were like talking pretty closely with Jacques Vallée and uh, doing all sorts of great work that a lot of people haven't really taken seriously because I don't know, this type of stuff is just made to seem ridiculous. But uh, the more testimony we get and the more common it seems like the way John Mack made it seem is that uh, when they polled people, the amount of people that report having an experience uh, like an abduction was mind boggling. Like I thought it was going to be like one in like 20,000 mm-hmm. dude. I was like, I think it was correct. Dude. I, I don't even know the right. No, I don't want to say the, I don't want to <laughs> say the number dude. because it made me seem like every other person. I'll give you had, a number. Had an experience. And I was like, Oh my <laughs> God, this is how, how are we not talking about this? Dude, I'll give you a number right now. There was, um, an Ipsos, uh, poll that came out two days ago. It, um, Ipsos, they're, they're pretty, uh, accurate. I think known known to be an accurate pollster. Uh, and they did a poll on the paranormal and they said, I think, I believe it was 28% of people have woken up from sleep and sensed the strange presence. Um, so <laughs> extrapolate that out. And, um, yeah, I'm sure it's way more than we think who have had some sort of, you know, abduction experience. It's, uh, I just don't talk about it. I don't know. And, you know, regardless where it comes from, if it's physical or not, that's, it's a lot of people having that experience of, of, of another presence that they can't sense with their actual senses, but they know it's there. And how are they sensing that? Like what in their brain is perceiving this weird, uh, presence and why are 28% of people reporting it upon waking? It's, it, it's crazy to me that we're not looking into this and it's, it's clearly not something that they're imagining if they're reporting it to this, you know, this pollster. Um, There's a lot there. And I think uh, Colm Keller said something along the lines of, you know, once we get, once we get to the UFOs, then, then the, you know, the paranormal comes next. And I think Gary Nolan has said, you know, the woo's right around the corner. I think, I think UFOs is kind of uh, the bridge to that size stuff. That seems crazy interesting. And I know, Tom DeLong definitely believes that. <laughs> yeah. You know, when he's talking about supercharging our brains and, you know, DMT and shit like that. And, you know, seeing these AI beings outside of our regular perception. And it's, it sounds like there's a lot to this that could be very beneficial. Um, I know a lot of it sounds scary uh, when it comes to NHI and, um, you know, this whole biologic thing still has me reeling right now. It's fucking crazy that. Yeah, it's important for us to figure out if there's life elsewhere. Um, it, but something I was thinking about also was like, because um, people criticize, the, a lot of UFO buffs criticize Carl Sagan a lot and, and consider him someone who stifled a lot of good research on this topic. Even though, based on what I've read, he seemed like someone who really wanted answers and was turned away when he wanted to get them. Um, but he's some, he's someone that, uh, in, uh, Francis Crick and Leslie Orgel's directed panspermia paper, they cite Carl Sagan's work a few times and they cite like his study of the planet Venus and like 
he's a he was a brilliant scientist and astronomer um and for those of you who don't remember or didn't ever see he like had this long monologue and I, I believe he made it also a book called the pale blue dot and he tried to like really pound home how isolated we are as of right now and like how precious this planet is and why we really have to get our act into gear and uh because everybody who's ever been has been on this pale blue dot that's just on a speck of diet a speck of dust suspended in a sunbeam and uh he just points out how small and precious our planet is and how we just seem so eager for someone to come out of the sky and fix it all for us and uh i think that was some a huge takeaway that i get from carl sagan was that he wanted human beings to determine their own future and their own destiny and i i feel like i feel that very strongly that he wanted human beings to put themselves and like future generations in position to make mature decisions about where we move forward and uh part of that is understanding how precious and like rare our our life and our situation appears to be and not take it for granted you know yeah and that's kind of why i'm partial to um a kind of crypto terrestrial hypothesis um and it's not even just like within the realm of like ufos it's you know in, in studying homo naledi and um that you know just our ancient ancestors that apparently lived al alongside us with you know the same cognitive um abilities and a much smaller brain you know why did they go extinct did we just fucking wipe them out like what happened to where we're the ones who made it this far um what were other species you know capable of and why were they capable of it like you know homo uh floresiensis fucking sailed across the ocean you know it's it, like so much happened back then that had nothing to do with hum, hum homo sapiens basically and um i think it's really important for us to figure that out uh and i think that might be part of this whole somber idea that lou elizondo has put out there like i feel like something happened you said something happened where we rose to the top um but yeah we are the only ones left and i i think it's important for us to to know um just just kind of where we come from in order to figure out where the fuck we need to go because right now things are looking kind of crazy um and when it comes to like you were saying uh sagan saying like we want you know aliens to come down and, and save us from ourselves it's uh that's that's kind of the nerve-wracking thing about about ufos is that a lot of people in the subject like see it as a religion and um you know that's just as dangerous as, as continuing on with uh you know literally believing in christianity and all these organized ideologies that separate us it, um there there needs to be some sort of unifying force i think and and i think understanding our history together as a species and where we come from and perhaps learning something very very humbling uh, about ourselves could probably do that better than aliens saving us agreed agreed dude because uh a lot of people do think about this 
phenomena in a religious context. Um, and that's okay, I guess. I, uh, I'm not a fan. I, I wouldn't recommend it. And like I said, below, I mean, like, like we were saying earlier, dude, William Burroughs might be right. Right. It might be dogmatic creeds that really are uh, ripping human beings apart. And uh, so, yeah, I just think with any ideology, people, people need to be individuals, you know, and uh, yeah, people, people need to think critically about the situation. And I think that's the the uh, instrument I'm, or the what would it be? That's the note I'm going to keep on playing. Is that like we need to think critically about this phenomenon and what it could be, and we need to like admit that we could be wrong about certain things because like the people that worry me the most in religion or in this topic are the people that simply know that they're right. Yeah, because like I'm sure everyone has encountered those people. Um, that's not a it's not a very endearing thing to meet someone who claims to know that they're right about topics like this, where it's very clear that like we still have a long ways to go before we understand this. So just like be be careful of that, people. Like when you hear people saying that they claim to know everything about all of this stuff really look at that and examine it and ask yourself like is this person really the person that knows like <laughs> and uh nine times or ten times out of ten it's no because uh, <laughs> they don't have any powers that you don't right okay so like i just think that it's something that people yeah keep thinking critically because uh we need that really really badly right now and that's the hard part about this too is um like a lot of people who are really into this like are kind of atheists almost it's like um it's like religion for atheists or you know that that kind of thing like I, i'm gonna be honest like i didn't really start diving into this like hardcore um until you know one of our like our our dog passed away and i'm like fuck like there, there's gotta be like he's gotta be out there somewhere you know and that kind of thing and then i I've researched consciousness and, you know, kind of intertwined with the UFO phenomenon that um, I hadn't been super interested in, but, you know, it, that's what kind of led me to like, start looking into this stuff. And it could be, and I, and I admit wholeheartedly that that's like kind of a religious motivation in a way to um, find meaning, you know, and that can be very dangerous. And um, it, it's, I, Luckily for me, I, I believe I've kind of harnessed it and turned it into a a learning experience to where like I'm learning more and more. I don't I don't really believe anything. Like I don't like there's still a one percent less, in my opinion, less than one percent chance that you know this is all a fucking lie. It's all a psyop. It could all go to shit tomorrow. You know, I don't think so, but um, it's totally a possibility. Like keeping your mind open is essential for not just this topic but you know everything i mean i don't blame people for like believing in shit like that's there are other things like you know i believe in but it's when it comes to planting your flag somewhere and um <laughs> i don't know paying someone money to fucking take you to the desert 
<laughs> see some UFOs. Uh, have some. That's that's interesting that you called it religion for atheists. Yeah, a little, because I, that is something that like that. I, that is a good. That is a good. That see, because I consider I consider and still do myself a non-believer, right? Right. And uh, the people that I had to like come to terms with the fact that. There's people I consider credible people that report seeing things that I cannot believe. Like I can't, I just don't, I I like don't even have the capacity in me to believe them, but I still trust this person. Right. And it gives me like cognitive cognitive dissonance. And, uh, but the amount of people that report having an experience, regardless of the cultural frame of reference, was astounding to me mm-hmm. as a non-believer. And that's why I'm like, okay, well, I'm not I'm not going to throw in my lot and say that this is an angel sent from Jesus, you know, yeah. or from Buddha or like I'm not going to we don't need to jump to that. But I do think that there's enough to say that people are experiencing something. People aren't liars. Yeah. By and large, like, uh, and because that was the the thing I had to keep telling myself was like, oh, that they're crazy. That that person's a liar. That person is just conning people. And like, the more testimony I heard, especially on this topic, I'm like, this person did not lie about this. <laughs> this person clear, like, it's it's a trauma. Yeah. And uh, so the thing, a lot of the time, it's a trauma. At least, what people report is their own interpretation. That's like a huge part of it, and why why a lot of it's unbelievable. I think is because people are going to report what they see, and what if if what this thing is 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 playing off their expectations. Um, some people are going to report some wild shit as opposed to you know a spaceship. Dude, that's a good point. That's something Diana Pasolka was talking about. How the the reporting of UFOs is like off right now. Because there's and historically it's like been a little crooked because there's been instances where people have bizarre, like they don't want to talk about it, but they'll have bizarre experiences and they'll report them, but they're not taken seriously because they're not the Spielberg type experience. Yeah. So she's saying that that's even warped our idea of what an experience is because people, when people really get personal about the types of things that have happened to them, the it's not always just a thing, a saucer coming and landing in your backyard, right? right? It's it's very rare that that's even what people report at all. It's glowing balls of light and things flying off shelves and um, hearing voices of family members that you have been dead for thirty years, yeah. and uh, dude, they, I've heard all sorts of stories of of honest honorable people um but the thing is is like do i think they're lying do i think they're mistaken or do i think that there might be a a trend here that if we compile enough data we might actually notice something that's going on with these experiencers that we can like start to file out you know yeah sorry i just got distracted jay stratton just tweeted (laughs) what did he say (laughs) a statement from lou and himself I guess I'll just read it. <laughs> While working, uh, yeah, this is a statement from Lou Elizondo and Jay Stratton. Uh, I'm reading this 
for the first time along with you. Uh, while working in the U.S. government's UAP investigation known as ATIP, we knew based on credible data that UAP presents serious national security concerns and a potential existential threat. When we and our colleagues, or when we and our colleague Chris Mellon tried to raise alarm bells within the Pentagon, we were blocked by the bureaucracy and stigma surrounding the topic. Ultimately, we decided the only way to bring attention to this urgent matter was for Lou to resign in protest and go public to create awareness. While Jay used that change to move the topic forward within the government, eventually becoming director of the UAP task force. We swore oaths to serve the best interests of the American people, and this was the best way to do that. Our goal was to be the spark that would light a fire, a fire more powerful than antiquated bureaucracy and stigma. Yesterday, we proudly watched the fire continue to grow in a momentous congressional UAP hearing. Our brave friends and colleagues, former, former naval aviators Ryan Graves and Dave Fravor, and former Air Force intelligence officer, UAP task force member David Grush, offered themselves up as witnesses and spoke under oath about the topic to members of Congress and the public. We are grateful for all those who participated. This is still just the beginning. There is considerable progress to be made and work to do in order to understand and address the national security concerns. Please always remember that an informed public is a powerful force that can be wielded to create positive change. We will not be commenting further at this time, but know that we remain hard at work behind the scenes. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, he's a guy that stays on the uh, outskirts, you know, yeah, but totally. you know he he has such a big presence behind the scenes. It's yeah. just a matter of like who has access to Jay Stratton. Yeah, man, he he's uh, Axelrod. Yeah, he's uh, been through some shit. I know that, uh, uh, what's his name? George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell, they were talking about UAP. And they were saying that uh, Jay Stratton would be a great witness to bring forward because of his involvement with this topic. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting because that they those two were the first two to really point out to me his significance and like how many of these programs he's been involved with yeah it's rad i mean they're clearly like lou was there so he's he's clearly doing the same thing he's always done behind the scenes you know he um he's not hit fucking off like whatever he's 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 killing it and um he doesn't need the recognition like it, it, this makes it so clear to me that he wasn't just going on these shows just for the attention or like you know stuff like that like he's been behind the scenes now for like over a, a year right like a lot longer than that and uh he's he's still doing the same work he was doing he's just doing it without all the attention focused on him even though a lot of people are still focusing their attention on him for whatever the fuck reason probably because they're being paid i mean at this point it seems obvious that they're doing it for a reason if he's not like why would you attack someone who's not out in the public I, because he's doing this work behind the scenes and for some reason they have a problem with that <laughs> it's uh i don't know i don't mean to make accusations out of nowhere but like that's seems pretty obvious to me that they have a very specific agenda if they're if they're attacking lou when he's not even you know saying anything in public ever it's weird right yeah dude lou lou could go on a podcast with like two thousand views and they'll be like look at this 
look at this guy just cashing out dude <laughs> this is guy what is he on a world tour dude is he lady gaga now like what how many millions did he make off of this 2000 know, podcast i don't get it dude but uh yeah no i think that's um i think that's a good way to wrap it up man yeah man it, the hearing was was amazing i'm really excited to see where this is going i really think there's a lot to be positive about and um I would like to just thank, you know, David Grush, um, Brian Graves and Dave Fravor for, you know, sticking their necks out for uh, the cause and being um, really, really brave and just being credible, being the credible people that we need leading this, uh, leading this topic forward. Yeah. And, and thank you to uh, representatives AOC and Matt Gates coming from both sides of the aisle and doing their homework. And uh, really showing good bipartisan leadership on this topic. And I hope I encourage our uh, elected representatives to keep that going because that was beautiful. Yeah, it's great to see Raskin in there too. That guy is a dog on the bone when it comes to getting to the bottom of corruption. So really exciting shit, man. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time and uh, appreciate you coming in. And um, yeah, have a good one. All right, bye.